Hey, fellow community, happy March. We're closing in on Easter. It's coming up. We've had that two months off practically from, you know, big events and now, yeah, getting ready for Easter. Anyway, it's been quite a first quarter over here in Philoland. I've been personally on tons, and I mean tons of trips and freelance work and conferences and that sort of thing. And back at home, the home office, we've been cranking on all the things to pull off the Philo conference in May. So super excited about what we're working on, new offerings that are coming up, just all to make the local church technical arts community better. Anyway, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome. Our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, an extension of the Philo Conference all year round. And speaking of the Philo Conference, uh, for those of you who have been like paying attention to the news lately, you've probably heard of a little thing called the coronavirus. And we've been having tons of conversations around here about what does that mean for us and our event in May. And just as an announcement in this moment, uh, we're not planning to cancel Philo. So between now and May uh, 19th and 20th, We're going to be working with our venue partners, which is Willow Creek Community Church, to kind of look at the safest course of action, as well as staying in touch with the latest information from the Center for Disease Control. Um, I, for one, really believe in the mission of Philo. I mean, that's kind of why we're doing it. And, you know, it's so important for us to gather together just to be reminded that we're not crazy, we're not alone. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure we still have that opportunity. So we've posted a, an official written position on our website. So you can go to phyla.org to get updates as they happen. But for now, we're doing it. We're going to do it. So anyway, as I mentioned earlier, it's been kind of busy around here. And most of that, uh, like I said, is because we have conference to plan. And also, I've been gone. I've been out of town. I think I've been home maybe two or three days in the month of February. So it was kind of a run unlike any other I've done before with uh, freelance work and the production company that I uh, run myself. And traditionally, first quarter is when all the work uh, happens, all the freelance and extra stuff happens. And on top of that, yeah, Philo conference, planning, prep, uh, all that stuff. So it's like Christmas around here. And It's been uh, reminding me lately just how important family relationships are and how much effort and discipline it's required to kind of maintain those while being busy. And I haven't necessarily done the best job, but when I was home, I really tried to take advantage of all the opportunities uh, relating to my wife and my kids and doing special things and just trying to be present in those days. I think it can be so easy just to give in to the feeling of I'm so tired that I just want to do nothing and not engage. But you just have to. And we're all busy. And with Easter coming up, we can't use being busy as an excuse to not engage with our families. So work hard, go home and engage with your families. For me, uh, the nice part was at the end of my run of events, uh, my wife and I got a chance to vacation with her sister and her husband in Portugal. So I'll invite you over sometime. We can look at the slideshow together. But who knew Portugal was so beautiful? Uh, We had a great time and uh, did not contract any sort of viruses while there. So it was perfect. Uh, Anyway, back to the podcast. The guest for the podcast is one of the most engaging people I know. His name is T.C. Furlong. He is the owner of a company that also uses his name, T.C. Furlong. They're primarily an audio rental company in the Chicago area, but the stuff that T.C. and I have uh, been involved in uh, much wider than just audio. And uh, he's been a huge mentor to me over the years, especially in the years of running my own business. And I really wanted to do a podcast over lunch, which is when we normally meet, but I figured all the background noise would be a little too distracting. Anyway, we talk about his story and we learn a little bit about his perspective when it comes to working with artists and non-technical people. So let's just jump into the podcast. I'm here with my good friend, TC Furlong. Hi everybody. How's it going? It's going great. Yeah. So TC and I, we, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know exactly when we met, but I was involved at Willow Creek Church for years, as were you, doing projects, and probably 2003 or four. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. when the mm-hmm. when the big auditorium got built, it seemed like mm-hmm. you we, you didn't live there quite as much as I did, but uh, right, I was there from time to time. Yeah, you yeah. were there mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, installing the Meyer PA there and getting yep. it all tuned up. Yeah, so that's uh, the scary part to me is 2004. That's 15 was that the year years. that that was open, 2004? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. 
15 years. 15 years, yeah. <laughs> and that equipment is still operating. That's right. It yeah. Is. yeah. Yeah. It's still up and running. That's crazy to think about. Yep. I mean, that's uh, past its lifetime. Lifetime years. for audio equipment is typically 10 to 12 years. Yeah, yeah. Right. So 15 years later, it's still doing the yeah, job. Yeah. Go Willow Creek, always yeah. like somehow pinching money and like making it work longer than it has to. Yep. That's a good lesson. Just it is. That's a free tip for those of you listening that wasn't <laughs> planned. <laughs> so um, let's talk about what it is you do right now, and then maybe some of the story on how you got to this point today. Well, I started my business in 1973, okay. and that's uh, it'll be 47 years ago next year. Okay. I was a musician. I okay. still am a musician, and I was the pedal guy. Pedal steel. I play pedal steel yes, guitar. So good. Yep, and I've played at Willow many times, being yeah, yeah. at Willow Creek. And I was also the guy who took care of the PA in the band. Okay, all right. And one of my fascinations throughout my entire career has been speakers, loudspeakers. Okay. Well, it sounds kind of boring, you know, loudspeakers, yeah, whatever, there's just speakers. They're really complicated. Sure, right. Super complicated. And I know that because we probably have 400 of them in our inventory. So right. I have a company now. It's called TC Furlong Inc. I started as a kid uh, <laughs> making speakers in my garage. Okay. And before the days when you could buy concert loudspeakers, we were building them. Oh, wow. And we built them for other companies and concert sound companies. And I started doing that and I learned a lot about speakers. And the more I learn, the more I realize how much I really don't know about sure, it. Sure, right. It's very complex stuff. And it's part of what we do today. Okay. So I have a audio design, sales, rental services company in Lake Forest, Illinois, uh, outside of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we have every kind of audio equipment. We specialize in audio. Right. Although we do have a little bit of video. Sure. We do have some uh, lighting, not much, but uh, just enough to accommodate our customers who ask for it. Sure. But right. we primarily are an audio vendor. Right. So, um, yeah, we sell, design, rent. Yeah. And help people with audio problems. Uh, we were just uh, taking a tour of the shop that just expanded recently. And uh, the like a pair of 750 pound speakers that uh, are used for a football game every Saturday. Uh, yep. Yeah, for the for Big the, Ten football. Yeah, exactly. Big Ten football. Now, and my friend often reminds me, my friend of many years reminds me that I wanted to be the company that had nothing bigger than would fit in a van. <laughs> That's as big as a van. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's or a, a smart car at least. Right, yeah. it's, it's about the size of a smart car. But two of them can do 48,000 people yeah. successfully. Unbelievable. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's definitely Technology has come band. a long way since 1973. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe a little known fact, in the band that you played in, you had a hit song, right? Oh, my checkered past yeah. continues to haunt me. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I so that was in the 80s sometime, wasn't in it? 1984. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. so. so I remember it uh, when you, it came out. I mean, and I remember it being a huge hit and listening to it all the time, The Curly Shuffle. Yeah, was yeah, the name so, of the song. Yeah, yeah. The, the name of the song was much more familiar to people than the name of the band. Right, I couldn't remember the name of the band. You yeah. and many others, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, So we are in Billboard's Book of One-Hit Wonders. Okay. So I'm officially a band member of a one-hit wonder Congratulations. band. Congratulations. Thank you yeah. very much for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the song came out in 1984. The name of the band was Jump in the Saddle Band. Jump we were kind saddle, of a, yeah. a Western swing, boogie-woogie, country-type band. And okay. we had this... Our singer came up with the idea to do this song about Curly of the Three Stooges. Right. So that's what the song is about. Is it's about the dance that Curly does and that people love this character in the Three yeah, Stooges. Yeah, yeah. So. And how did I mean? Were you surprised that it took off like it did, or just... what I was surprised about is that that <laughs> dumb song bought groceries for five years. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah, we were really surprised. In fact, we recorded it in 83 and it took off on its own. Okay, that never yeah. happens ever. And sure. uh, so we made a tape and brought it to a local disc jockey in Chicago and he made copies and FedExed them to his friends all over the country. Okay. So the song was a hit song before we had one record printed. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they were copies of copies because they were in the back in the day, there were these shows called morning zoo shows. Okay. And they were wacky disc jockeys with a cast of characters on the sure. show in the yeah, morning yeah, for right. drive time. Yeah. And they, this was a perfect song for a morning sure, zoo totally, song because yeah. people would, you know, make funny noises after it and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was a <laughs> that's yeah, that, funny. Yeah. That happens. Yep. <laughs> Which is not why we came to talk no, today, but right. yeah, just an interesting factoid. Yeah. Pedal steel, was that your main instrument as a musician or just kind of the thing that you gravitated to because no one else was playing it? Or Yeah, I, I started off playing uh, guitar and I was a guitar player and mm -hmm. influence. I remember seeing the Beatles when they were on the Ed Sullivan oh, show. Wow, yeah. All you young guys probably don't even know there was an Ed Sullivan <laughs> show, but in history, <laughs> there was this famous Sunday night variety show and the Beatles made their first American appearance on that show. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. And I saw him on TV, and that was it. I was yeah. done. I had to okay. be involved in the music business. That wow. was nine when that happened. Wow. And I remember it like it was yesterday. That's so yep. great. And I always wanted to learn about British Invasion, uh -huh. which was, you know, I learned about all the bands. My favorite band was Cream. I was a rock guy. Okay. I liked British blues. I liked all that kind of stuff. And then okay. I... Then I discovered in like 1973 or four, I discovered uh, country music. Okay. And I always thought it was that hard to listen to twangy stuff that nobody liked. And, sure. and as I learned more about it, I learned that it was very complex storytelling right. and really involved. So I kind of got drawn into it. And pedal steel is the signature instrument right, of country right. music. It's not banjo, sure. by the way, that's bluegrass, <laughs> right? So it's, uh, it's pedal steel, it's kind of, it's all, it was really at the time only found in country music. Right. So I got uh, kind of drawn into that and learned it and got a job in a band. So for many years I was playing in the band at night and then uh, doing building my sound, speakers. building yeah. speakers during the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, was there a moment where you kind of switched over to, okay, the musician thing's not paying the bills or was it never like your primary thing? Well, no, I played 15 years full time. Okay. So, so oh, wow. it was, it was a 50, 50 arrangement. I ran the sound business during the day and played at night when, when I was single. Okay. <laughs> and I have a very understanding <laughs> wife and, uh, and then, but when kids came along, I decided it was time to not, because uh, a good family life is not really one that has dad going out every night sure, to right. play. Right, right. So I throttled the, the playing back to just weekends then. Uh, and I, so I kind of got a lot more serious about the sound business Sure. when our two boys came along. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. And as far as, uh, I mean, the sound business, have you always been kind of mixing or was it building speakers, being a musician, and then just sort of picking that up along the way or? Well, I certainly learned to mix early on. Mm -hmm. So what my band always had hired a sound person. Usually it was a woman. Cause oh, really? I think what, yeah, I think I still think women have better hearing than men and oh, are able to I do it. Yeah. So we had either sound guys or sound women, usually a girlfriend of one of the guys in the band. Right. Right. Like mine. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but anyway, so I learned about that. And one of the things that afforded me the opportunity to learn a lot about audio was going out and having experiences being a player. So when our band went on tour, I'd go out for a week or two or three and we'd use other sound companies. Oh, right. And I'd okay. see how they did it. Sure. What they did right, what they did wrong, how, okay. they, how they did And I'd learn a lot. So I got to get both sides of the microphone. You know, I was on the right. performance side and then I was also full-time ish doing the sure the stuff building systems and i was a mixer too yeah, yeah okay i learned how to mix i remember the day so when i was in college i decided i was going to learn to play the guitar uh, i played piano f and took lessons and all that mm -hmm. stuff but in, in uh, college i said well there's a guitar laying around everywhere so i'm just going to learn to pick it up play by ear all this stuff and eventually very small scale i somebody asked me to play for a campus crusade meeting which mm -hmm. is a meeting on campus and I remember that the day of being up there after having been behind the console so many times and being up on stage and thinking, oh, this is what they're talking about. Like when they can't hear themselves or, you know, whatever the musicians would be feeding me as, a, as the mixer or the, you know, the tech person. It was such an eye-opening experience to be like, oh, that's what it's like up here. Yep, yep. It, it's really important. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the things we have in our company is that the, everybody who works here as a mixer is a musician. Right. And, and that's kind of by design, but it's also kind of by accident. When we find somebody who's really good at mixing and interested in audio, they tend to have a background being a musician. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah, because there's part of it, I think the natural tendency uh, for churches especially is to put somebody that understands how the gear works behind the console. Right. Which is not a bad idea, but if they don't have a musical ear, then they're not really it's not going to sound like it should. Right. Well, there certainly is the, I call them ham radio operators. Uh -huh. They're the guys who get into it because they're fascinated by the technology, right. but they don't necessarily have an understanding of what a musical performance really needs to sound like. Right. So, uh, so that is something that is definitely a benefit yeah. to bring somebody who's mixing to have been you know, a musician too. Right. right. Yeah, to understand how it all goes together. One of the things we've been talking about over the last few months is this idea of how we all kind of work together to make an event or a service happen. And it's something that I really admired about you, just the, the ease with which you enter into a situation that might be uh, fraught with tension and just sort of release the tension of that moment. And a lot of it comes down to this idea of making people feel comfortable with technology. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a million 
places we could start or or go to in this conversation, but I would love to just maybe talk about this idea you have, the, something you call the system. Right. Well, so I've been a student of many things, but really is working organizations mm -hmm. is what I've been kind of passionate about. And I run a working organization. That's yeah. our business. Yeah. I have a general manager who actually does the hard work and runs the business. Right. But I have, you know, for 46 years, I've been running a system uh -huh. is really what it is. And I think what I've come to the conclusion about is that if you think of the business or the church worship experience or whatever the organization is, mm -hmm. it really is a system. It's got a lot of components. So one of the things I started years ago to think about is what is the system that a guitar player has? Well, the guitar player's system really is his, first it is his ears. Mm -hmm. He hears something. Then he stores what he's heard in his brain. Then he sends a signal from his brain to his hands. Then he has the hands that play the guitar, which has strings. And he's got a pick that he holds in a certain way. Yeah. He frets in a certain way through a special cable that goes to a pedal board. The pedal board is set up a certain way that goes to an amplifier. The amplifier then gets picked up by a microphone and sent to a sound system, which is organized with a mixing console <laughs> to a speaker. So you get the idea that right. even a guitar player's world has a lot of components in his system. Right, right. So I think that with a working organization, such as a small business like I have or um, any church organization, there's a system that's in place. Mm -hmm. And it's been in place usually for years. Yeah. And certain parts of that system are super important to the efficiency and the performance of that system. So I would argue that the first part of the system in a worship experience would be the idea in the mind of somebody on the creative team. Yeah. And that could even go to executive leadership and what they want a service to come across like. Right. So, uh, so that's one part of the system. Right. The other part, of the last, that's the first part of the system. The last part of the system is when somebody who is in the congregation goes home and thinks about what a great or not great worship experience they had. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And there are so many things between the beginning and the end that have to happen right. Right. So the only way that I can think about it in my brain is to quantify it mm -hmm. in some way. And to quantify it, I mean, we have to get an understanding of what's good and what's not as good in the entire system. Now, you mentioned before the idea that there's sometimes a breakdown in communication right. between, let's just say, a performer and a technician. Sure. That's one part of many parts. Yeah. So if we can run through what I think of it as the system, and I'll miss five or six at least. Yeah. So, so you have the idea that the creative team wants to get across. Right. And then you have all the elements, which would be visual lighting, video lighting, uh, music, mm -hmm. so that's the types of music that's that's selected, and rehearsal of musicians, um, technical rehearsals, sound check, other things that would contribute to being ready for the the service to begin. Right, walk-in music has to be right. Then you get into the the other things, and I think you have to have a good communication between when the service before the service starts to find out what it is that you want to accomplish. You know, they say in um, in battle. The wars are won in the tents, not on the battlefield. And it's really the planning. Yeah, right. So, and, and really the planning is good communication between somebody who knows what they want to have happen because my world is audio and an audio technician doesn't really know or shouldn't necessarily know what needs to happen with audio during that service. Right, okay. Now, I would, I would argue that some would come in and say, I just need to make sure that I turn up the faders at the right time and that everything can be heard. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a minimal standard, right? <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would challenge anyone listening, if they're in that seat, to say, I want to produce something that lifts the audience up and makes people remember it. Yeah. And that requires a lot of technical things to have happened. Right. And at my company, our role is really to remove barriers. And so I think of the system and I think of all the barriers that can happen from the beginning to the end in the system. And the barriers are, I'll give you an obvious barrier. If the wireless microphone drops out and stops working during a service. Right. That's a huge barrier. Yeah. Right. So we take a lot of time and effort to learn about what happens in the world of spectrum of the people have heard about the... Uh, the auction of the wireless spectrum that's going on. So we learn all about that. And we have a couple of people who are absolute experts in knowing on what, what to count on. And 
when your wireless system is likely to work and when it's not going to work. Right, right. October 18th was a big day. <laughs> yeah. We had all hands on deck ready to take, you know, panic calls. And right, we got right. a lot of panic calls okay. because the FCC sold off part of the spectrum. Right. And the repack was uh, in instituted on October 18th and there was yeah. a lot of problems. So knowing about that in advance, taking care of it, making precautions and making plans to get around that were right. important. Yeah. So, there's a, so that's just one of probably 50 things in the world of audio right. that make it. And I, th I think there's something about the this idea of what how what can we do to minimize barriers mm -hmm. to to the system to someone's experience as they leave, and I think so much of the from a technology standpoint, thinking of a church service, nobody really knows what those are outside of our technical community. You know, the the people doing the work, like the senior pastor, doesn't really know about October 18th, right. 2019, they're just, how come the mic's not working? And so there's so much work that needs to be done by people who know what they're doing, hopefully, to eliminate barriers mm -hmm. that are just up to me. Right, right. And a lot of times I think that people making the decisions don't have the information and really the knowledge base that they need to understand what causes barriers to yeah. happen. Yeah. You know, one of the things, and Todd's been nice enough to invite me to Philo to teach him one, <laughs> yeah. the most, the most uh, successful breakout that I've, <laughs> that I've had was, believe it or not, subwoofers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More people, I think we had 325 people showed up <laughs> to hear me talk about subwoofers. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, in most churches, it's a big barrier. Because right. of where you have to put them, you can't have them on stage. You have to have them beneath the stage. Right. So you know, with the laws of physics, they make, <laughs> they make us blast the people in the front and not have any experience right. in the rear. Right. So there's a lot of things that we have to do to remove that one barrier. Again, yeah. that's one of fifty things that we have to pay attention to. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I think once that you get past kind of the things that maybe I'm responsible for to help get rid of barriers, there's also the kind of the working together part that a lot of our barriers can come from. Just if you're the creative person, I could misunderstand you. I could make assumptions. I could be defensive. Right. Like, there's all kinds of barriers that happen just between people. Right. Well, the, one of the biggest barriers, I think, is language and vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So somebody doesn't know how to describe, because audio is invisible, right? Right. So right. somebody on the creative team would not know how to describe to an audio technician what they want in terms that the audio person can understand. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. The audio person, you know, say, I, you know, I can calm it down at 2.5K. <laughs> they're, what? 2.5K? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what right, is that? Right, yeah. so, so the vocabulary. I remember in 2001, I went to a school in Emeryville, California. As a matter of fact, that's where I was on September 11th of oh, 2001. Wow. I was okay. in Source Independent Measurement School. Very difficult. And I got certified with some colleagues at that time. And I found out that the most important part about being certified in this measurement was the vocabulary that we gained. Okay. We could all talk, speak a new language. And we were speaker guys. And right. all of a sudden, we had this new language that we could communicate in. We would talk about phase wraps and things that most people don't understand. Crucial to the performance of an audio system to know this stuff. But right. then we got the language and vocabulary together. And we were much better audio technicians because we got this. Well, if you, if you back that up into the world of somebody from the creative team, a producer trying to talk to an audio guy, they don't necessarily speak the same language right, or, right. or and they have the vocabulary. Yeah. And same thing holds true with musicians. So if a, an audio volunteer or even a staff audio person at a church needs to communicate with a musician, some are musicians and they can, and right, some aren't, right. and, but the musician often doesn't have the vocabulary to be able to communicate what they need. Right. I remember I did a show with uh, the artist Judy Collins once. Okay. And she said, I said, is everything okay? She says, yeah, it sounds okay, but can you make it a little more green? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, green? What? Yeah. Uh, okay, how's that? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting how the, you know, f as, a, as somebody who's sat behind the console and had a producer come up to me, yeah, I needed to sound more cheery or, you know, whatever the, right, yeah. the more Christmassy. Yeah. I'm like, I don't really know what that means. So right. we're just going to, yeah, you end up trying a few things right. uh, to try and get it. But I think it's so easy to discount that person for not being able to communicate right. the way I need it versus, okay, this is who I'm working with. How do I, what kind of barriers can I get out of the way so that we can actually figure this out. Right. And oftentimes there's a personality barrier too. Right. And you know, the ham radio operator does not necessarily get off, get along 
famously with a creative person. Right. For 15 years, I did uh, kind of the audio design for a PBS television special called Soundstage. And I was responsible when the visiting artist would come in and the visiting tech crew would come in, I was responsible to basically disarm them when they came in. Okay. And I would say, every time I would say, my name's TC, I'm here to help you today. Whatever you need, talk to me, I'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I mean, whatever you need. Mm -hmm. If you get attitude from anybody, please tell me, I'll make sure that it happens and that you have the best day you ever had here. Right. And so few people get told that. It, right. it, it, it was kind of a habit for me, but it worked every time. Sure, And yeah. then they'd come, TC, I, I need this, no problem. And yeah. we worked with some famous stars, you know, sure. and they, they had a really good, everybody had a really good time because we removed that barrier, that communication barrier. Right. You know who to talk to. Right. And you know that they're going to take, they got your back. They're going to take care of you. Yeah. Right. I think one of the things that I learned too uh, from the, my experience of that first time on stage, Campus Crusade, is that there's a lot going through your mind as a musician on stage, trying not to mess up, trying to do your best. You're in front of people, you know, you're kind of exposed that there Absolutely. are there are a lot of things to worry about that as a technician, I never cared about. Right. The what was happening up there. And so for me, it turned it turned it into for me to say what can I do to make it so that everything's ready. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing pedal steel, you walk up TC, here's your spot, here's your music stand, here's your cable. All you have to worry about is the music. Right. Uh, which is what you're so good at. And I will worry about the sound, which is what I'm supposed to be good at. Yep. But that, yeah, removing that barrier of, yeah, just helping you, helping the musicians just worry about what they have to worry about. Yeah, it really is a matter of respecting each other. Yeah. And that's a big part of what you sometimes don't see. Technicians are often thought of as people who just do the behind the scenes work. Well, I would argue that the technical people, and especially the audio people, are the most important people in that room during the service. Right, right. Because if there's a mistake, it gets seen or heard immediately. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, usually people are turning around and looking at the the audio engineer. Right. Not, they don't look at the yeah. band. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and if the guitar player plays a wrong chord, nobody knows, you know. Right, right. If the singer <laughs> comes in at a wrong part, nobody really knows. They just, the band pulls it together and they make it happen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think so much of that breakdown comes down to kind of a lack of trust. Like it's real easy. If I'm a tech person and I'm being defensive all the time or grumpy or the opposite of kind of your, your example of what can I do for you? You know, you come to me, I will solve your problems. Right. The opposite of that is I think stereotypically what we're known for as tech people. It is. And it's the cause, maybe I'm overstating this, the cause of so many barriers mm -hmm. because... I've set myself up in a defensive position and there's it's it's going to be hard to build trust with the people on the platform. That's exactly right. Yeah. It, it really is. And you know, I mean, one of the things that I've often told our folks to do when we go out in on show site, introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. If you haven't met somebody for us, say, I'm Brian, I'm here to, to make your day go well. What can I do to help you yeah. if you need anything? And even that doesn't happen. Right. So, yes. I think it's, you could probably make a case for the fact that most people are introverts. I mean, I, the more articles written about it or whatever, people identify as introverts that I think there's smaller number of extroverts in the world than maybe I imagine. But I, I always assumed you're on stage, you're the one with the guts to be up in front of all these people. You must be an extrovert. Come talk to me. Right. Because I just want to sit here behind the console, you know, right. because I'm an introvert. Right. Um, but the reality is, uh, you know, for years I waited for someone to talk to me. Right. No one did. Right. So I thought, well, if I want this to happen, I got to get out of my seat and make the first move. Right. And you know, so something interesting about the word extrovert, I just learned this a few years ago. The definition of an extrovert is not somebody who's gregarious and outgoing. It really is somebody who is aware of their surroundings. Oh, interesting. And, and I think that if you're extroverted and you're aware of your surroundings, mm -hmm. you're aware of everything that's going on in the room. You're aware right. of the worship leader, you're aware of the drummer, you're aware of the sound guy, you're aware of the video, you're aware of where your cues. So you may be extroverted, but just not verbal about sure, it. Sure, right. Yeah, Whereas yeah. somebody who is a fantastic guitar player and all they're worried about is their guitar and they don't even see that there's a sound guy, yeah. that's, that's an introvert. Yeah, right. So they're going to be really hard to approach. Yeah, right. right. But I would, I would challenge people to be more of an extrovert yeah. as a technician. Yeah, because I think that uh, some of the stories that you've told me over the years working with 
people we've all heard of, you know, famous people or whatever, it's, they can be intimidating. You can make assumptions that, you know, they're used to dealing with people. So, you know, maybe they should be making the first move, but in reality, so you do the, I think we were talking about Northwestern, you do their graduation mm-hmm. uh, also. Yep. And there's usually a keynote speaker of some renowned. Yep. And I'm guessing they're uncomfortable and a little bit afraid to stand up in front of 40,000 people. Right. Well, I end up coaching them. Yeah. So that's part of my job yeah. is I'll coach the commencement speaker. And sometimes they say, I got it. I'm fine. I introduce myself. And, you know, it's, and it's been very famous people. Yeah. You know, I mean, Barack Obama was one of them and, okay. uh, and Mikhail Baryshnikov. And you go through any of the arts and there were, you know, television actors, movie actors. I mean, tons of people. And I go up and some of them are, are comfortable. And yeah. then some of them, I have to say, now one of the things that you have to do here in this environment is you have to speak a little slower. And we tend to, I said, we all tend to get um, a little excited about being in front of 40,000 people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're here, but I said, but we're in a very echoey environment here. And if you can slow down 10%, it'll help. Uh-huh. And then some of them are, really? <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will do that. And yeah. they do. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the student speakers come, really their first time ever in their life speaking in front of a big crowd. Right. And I coach them. I said, your heart's going to be beating twice as fast as it is right now when you get up here to uh-huh. deliver during the commencement, because you're going to have 40,000 faces looking at you. <laughs> Remember, slow down. And I make them go through it. And then I stop them and I start them again. Uh-huh. And invariably they come up and they say, thank you for that it really made a difference. Right. And it's really the difference between somebody who knows what to do and somebody who needs to be coached is what to do. Right, right. Yeah. And I think the kind of that talks a little bit to the idea of if you're the, let's just say you're the audio engineer, you there are needs you have, you, something you need from the band mm-hmm. or the vocalist or the speaker or, and to be able to communicate those needs in a way that's helpful to the situation instead of, you know, you're not giving me what, what I need. Uh, you're right. trying to help make me fail, uh, right. which is sometimes how it comes across, but... There, there's a positive way to frame the request. Yeah. Right. Because I think somebody, uh, you th- just to use the commencement speaker as an example, somebody who has spent time developing this talk and they want it to go well. Yes. And you want them to do well, but it requires some things for it to translate in the right way, which is maybe down to back to the system idea that just because you have a great talk doesn't mean it's going to go well, but that if, you know, to be coached or to be asked for, I need more of this and less of that right, will help, yeah, remove the barriers for the people that are in the, sure. in the audience. The cadence of the person speaking is a crucial part of the system, mm-hmm. believe it or not, it really yeah. is. And uh, again, if they, they start going too fast and mumbling, it can be a disaster. Right. And we have to do, by the way, we have to do every other thing perfectly right. Right. <laughs> yeah, all the things you're responsible for that, right. that they don't care about. Right. Yeah, those have to be perfect. But yeah. they're, part, they're part of the system. Yeah, Their input right. is part of the system, just as the same as a guitar player's input in a, in a worship service, anything. I mean, everybody's part of the system. Mm-hmm. And I would even argue that they're fairly equally important, yeah. all the things. Yeah. And if you ignore one of them, and that could be communication between the technician and the artist or whatever it is, yeah. that, that, that can create a problem or right. a barrier. Right. Now, if you're mixing a band or something like that and you're needing something different from a vocalist or a guitar player or something, do you have a particular secret way that you go about, uh, how am I going to talk about this with that person to get what I need? Or, Yeah, I'll, I'll usually start it by being humble, you know, I know I'm going to come off like being that guy, but I kind of have to ask you if it would be okay. Yeah, I, I really go in treading lightly on it. So uh, if, if I could have a little bit less of this, and usually if it's a if it's a conscientious person, they'll comply. Sure, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I know that that's that's been something that I've noticed that again when you're talking about somebody who's sitting behind the console doesn't feel great necessarily about approaching the band to get what they need so that the mix, you know, falls together. Right. And just being afraid of, well, if I say something, you know, then they're going to, you know, get angry or whatever. Right. And yeah, I found if you approach it humbly, yeah, that's a great way to put it, that yeah, people yeah. are usually willing to give you what you're looking for. Right. And in life, the anxiety is always worse than the solution. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> yeah, right. If I talk to them, they might jump on me. Or whatever. Just do. It. I mean, my advice would be just do it. I've learned to do that. Yeah. Just just go in and and if somebody jumps down your throat, it must not be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> And then you come back at it a little bit differently later. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I caught you off guard before, but you know, ha- having kind of a uh, a tread lightly attitude right, rather right. than you're messing my whole mix up. I can't. Right. Can you turn your guitar down, please? I can't even hear everybody. That's yeah. not the right way to do it. Sure. Right. 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 And and I know I've been told to turn down before. Yeah. And I'm grateful because I have no idea if I'm too loud or too soft right, from where right. I sit. Neither does anybody on stage. Yeah. Right. And I think too, deep down, everybody's put in this hard work together in rehearsal to make it sound a certain way. Right. You want it to s- translate. Absolutely. And so, right. yeah, to I would say just as an audio engineer to to assume that everybody wants it to sound as good as it possibly can. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and part of that is having the tools to be able to do that, to have it sound as good as it possibly can. And depending on budget, some of the tools are not really what are needed to have a a quality service. But many times there are the tools, and usually something that's less than state of the art can be made to work if all the components of the system are paid attention to. Right, right. That's, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, and I would say, maybe we were talking about this uh, over lunch, the, just the idea that the right piece of gear or the the newest piece of gear isn't necessarily always the answer, but that there are, there are other barriers to the system to maybe look at before jumping to, oh, if I just had a, the, you know, a different direct box, then right. their tone would come through. You know, that maybe there's okay, this is the gear I have. How can I, yeah, I mean, maybe it comes down to the relational. I'm going to go up and say, hey, I'm having trouble with your tone. Right. Let's work on it. And then if that doesn't work, okay, yeah, the new DI box. And- right. Well, again, it goes back to thinking through the system. Yeah. When you're thinking about making a change in the system, that change could have a negative effect. Yeah. You yeah. don't know, but if you if you understand what all is included in the system right. and where the weakest link is, I always say start with the weakest link. Yeah. And the weakest link could be, the player isn't a good player. Right. It yeah, could yeah. be the sound, the loudspeaker system isn't a good loudspeaker system or right. it hasn't been tuned correctly or it hasn't been aimed correctly or something like that. It's usually a little bit of everything yeah. and a lot of one thing. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, and and oftentimes I found that that the artists are usually very good and that's not mm-hmm. the problem. Sure. It's, it's the invisible stuff. And audio, as we know, is invisible. You can't really see it. Right. So you can't quantify it. You have to... Again, have this vocabulary to even think in a vocabulary. Right, right. right? Like, what's wrong with this? Well, it's a phase wrap at 180 hertz. What, (laughs) what, what what does that mean? (laughs) Well, to me, that means a lot, but to the average person, it means nothing. Right, right. But if I have that discussion with myself, is why there's a dead spot in the audience, Mm -hmm. and then I can identify that and correct it. Yeah. So one of the things that is a barrier that I often address is that I think everybody that's in the auditorium should have the same experience. Yeah. I think that's, and getting uniformity and linearity into the service Mm -hmm. of of all aspects is a really important part of doing that. So the fact that somebody's sitting in a dead spot or a hot spot in an audience is not acceptable to me. Right. So we try to do at our company, we try to remove these barriers, is Mm -hmm. what we call it, and and make that one of the things that you don't have to think about anymore. Right, right. So... And loudspeakers, as I mentioned before, are the most complex part of a a sound system. Yeah. Mixing console, what goes in pretty much is what comes out. Right. And a loudspeaker, what goes in is not necessarily what comes (laughs) out. Right. And I'm amazed even just thinking back to 2004 and the technology that existed loudspeaker-wise, you know, that was kind of, maybe it wasn't the beginning of the line array, but it was pretty darn close to it being a popular solution to problems. And then even just thinking about uh, category patterns, subwoofers, and all this stuff that you know—it feels like we're you know can steer audio wherever we feel like. Right. Yeah. It, it. I mean, that just makes my brain hurt <laughs> thinking about the physics involved. Right. It makes my brain light up. Oh yeah. Because, <laughs> because wow, we can do that now, and I don't have to deal with this problem that was age old. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are things that we're doing now with loudspeakers that were unimaginable even two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we're we're learning more and more and more about how to make things linear and more lifelike, so that I think we're just on the cusp right now of having loudspeakers sound better than nature. Oh, wow! Yep, 
Now, it, uh, let's go back. If you felt, if you were still making speakers, well, maybe could you make a speaker today? That I would, could. Yeah, that would. I, that would. Well, I, I don't have the same resources currently. Oh, right. But I do know because I keep up on it uh -huh. and I stay in touch with manufacturers and what they're doing. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by the technology and the breakthroughs that have been happening. But I do know what it is that makes one loudspeaker system better than another one sure. and why that is. And really it's science. It's yeah. really, it's material science, number one. Because okay. speakers really don't blow anymore. They used, back in the old days, we would blow speakers up every show. Right, you right. Know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's <laughs> adhesion materials and all these things. So I try to stay on top of what that is. Uh -huh. And then uh, care of the loudspeakers, that's another thing. That, so mm -hmm. microphones pretty much work for 20 years. Sure, without right. Without any, yeah. or more. Yeah, these know? are, we're talking to the SM58s, right. if anybody's uh, wondering, and we could probably... Uh, pound some nails with these and still, and they would be just fine. fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, but um, I, again, you know, my fascination is with loudspeaker systems. Mm. And that's what I've been doing for 46 years is really trying to understand those. And like I said, the more I understand, the more I realize there's a lot more to understand. Yeah. 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 Science. Science. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you can't break the laws of physics as much as we try. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. So thinking about the system and each church, each event probably has its own set of unique situations and barriers that could pop up. But I mean, what would you say to somebody who's a technical director at a local church and this idea of a system is intriguing to them? Like what is the, what's step one to figuring this out? I think step one is to kind of map it out. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's one of the things that we can do to help identify what it, where the hiccups would be. Yeah. So I would suggest that if you, if you map out what, what is the ideal service in the mind of the people creating the service would mm -hmm. be. And then along the way, what problems do you anticipate? And you, you put in you know the, the meetings, there's going to be the meeting that's going to discuss with the worship director or the worship pastor, what's going to happen. Then you're going to go, they're going to have a band rehearsal. They're going to go through this. They're going to have timing to discuss. They're going to have a lot of different things to discuss. And where could something go wrong? Right. Well, one of the things that I find a lot is that if, especially if a church has a volunteer sound engineer, that the sound engineer isn't at Thursday night rehearsal. Right. Yeah. And they kind of wing it. And that happens at some pretty large churches. Yeah, that's a barrier. It's a barrier. Another, yeah. another big barrier that you would identify as you write out your system, chart it out from the beginning to end, is where is sound check in there? And how much time do you devote to sound check? Now, I'm an audio guy, so I'm going to talk yeah. about sound checks. Right, right, yeah. The most, All the time. Right. Yeah. The <laughs> most undervalued and most important thing yeah. that there has to be is time for the audio engineer to get their act together yeah. and to really do what it is. Now, sometimes that's a rehearsal and they just kind of wing it during rehearsal. Right, right. But an organized, well thought through sound check is something that doesn't happen nearly enough, I don't think. Yeah. So, yeah, there's something about the idea of mapping out your system that's so intriguing to me. I was just thinking about my own journey as a technical person in the local church. I used to get so much pushback from my creative team when I would just say, no, we can't do that. And Part of it was I had no, there was nothing quantifiable in my answer. And so finally, I, I don't know what made me think of this, but one day I decided, what can I get done? I had one hour to do setup. Mm -hmm. So what is that? What can I do in one hour? Uh, we met in a high school. So, you know, there was one hour of setup, then rehearsal. And so I had to get a handle on what is that? So that when somebody would ask for more, I could either say, well, we need to come up with a plan, add another volunteer, give me 10 extra minutes, that I had something to measure that against. Right. Yeah. So one of the, an example that was given to me is the example of a water balloon. Okay. You've got so many things and that's the water in the balloon that need okay. to get done. Uh -huh. And the, the, each end of the balloon is time. Okay. So if you push one end of the balloon, the balloon gets bigger, but you get to have the same amount of stuff has to get done in less time if you don't right. give it enough. Yeah. So I think one of the things, people really appreciate an explanation. Yeah. So if you say, I need to get this done in an hour and you really need an hour and a half to do it, you say, I can do that in an hour for you, but what, what I'm going to have to not do is the following things. Right, right. And if you have a system map, yeah. you know what's going to be, so I have to get the rehearsal done in an hour, right. but I need a 15 minute sound check before. Can you rehearse in 45 minutes or can we add 15 minutes on to the beginning or the end of that time to be able to get what we need to have done? Right, right. That that's to me is the key to being able to use the linear system 
right? Time, uh, what happens at the beginning, what happens at the end yeah. to determine what has to happen. And I think uh, that just reminds me too of the how many how many times the band leader shows up with an extra instrument or, oh, oh I added another guitar or a, a melodica or you know something. <laughs> or my favorite strings. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so part of it, I used to carry that, the weight of responsibility of getting that stuff plugged in and still ending on time. Right. Instead of saying, hey, great idea, I love the strings, but we got to, at that time, for me, it was, I don't have enough channels for that. So yep. you tell me what you want me to unplug. Let, let's start there. And then we're going to start 10 minutes late. So, yep. and then... Just so you know, yeah, we're happy to accommodate, but yeah. we're going to... We can nail this, right? but we don't have enough channels and we're going to start late. Right. But that's it pushes that the weight of that on to someone else like they're the responsible one not me exactly um, right and if you do it in a friendly and accommodating yeah. way if, which of course we all would <laughs> totally well i mean i think i used to just not say anything right and just get angry and so now like legitimately we'll we'll unplug anything like i, I don't know like tom 2 you know we'll use that channel for the strings or whatever mm -hmm. uh, i'm fine just I need help. I need you to share this responsibility with me, right. not just me carry it myself. And yeah, part of that is knowing what I have time for and what I don't have time for is part of that, you know, where does it fall in the system? Right. And one of the things that comes to mind for me is that people would throw, when we go out and do productions, we do television broadcast origination. We do a lot of things that are very complex that have mm -hmm. to happen. And there's 180 people on the crew yeah. and we cannot <laughs> hold them up. No right. matter what. Yeah. And we get all kinds of extra stuff thrown at us all the time. Well, the answer is, can you do this? And the answer is, no, there isn't a question. It says, oh, yeah. I want you to do, do this. this. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and we say, I can do that for you. Let me see what it's going to take. I'll get right back to you. Yeah. You never say yes or no. You just say, right, right. I think we can do it. Let me, let me check. And then if you can't do it, if you legitimately can't do it, I, said, I can do it. Can we add an hour to the schedule? I have to send a truck down. Right, right. And they say, well, I can't have another hour. I wish I could help you. Maybe I can meet you halfway and we can do this. Okay, as long as you appear to be trying to, to solve their problem sure, right. or address their issue, you can, you can be successful. I think. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I think not even just pretending to be solving the problem, but oh, yeah, no, just, right. yeah, to even say, wow, here are the options. Right. And let, yeah, well, help me choose one. I'm going to need to make a phone call. Yeah, right. right. Let, give me some time to make a phone call. Let me see if I can make it happen. We did have one technician very famous star with a producer says, I want a compressor. Can you bring in a compressor for my monitors? <laughs> and he had been running ragged all day. And he said, no. Oh, wow. I, I, yeah. He just said no. And I got a call from the producer. I don't know whether to hit him or fire him. Uh -huh. And I said, well, let me, I'll be right down. Yeah, with a compressor. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'll bring and one with I me. Said, yeah. <laughs> I, right. And I knew that there was one in another studio. So we went and got it. And I said, I got you covered. We're going to make this happen yeah, yeah. for you. And, uh, but, you know, it was, he was at the end of his rope and he didn't have the skills that he needed to be able to frame his r response correctly. Yeah. Right. It is amazing to me. I was having a conversation about what churches are looking for in a tech person yeah. and what they're really going to get for the money available and whatever right. else. And, and what a tech person who's trying to get a more a job with more responsibility or pays better and what their expectations are and so much of the job of a technical director is about people mm, and about right. relationships and about not creating a barrier by your attitude or the way you respond in a situation that mm -hmm. Yeah, you can you can get better at mixing audio all day long, or be better at lighting something, or whatever. That we always need to be improving our skills. But right. if you're unable to uh, work with creatives or build up a volunteer team, or you know, just the people side right. of it, you're probably never going to succeed over here. Right. And I, I think of the notion as who's there to serve whom. Yeah. You know, it really is. I think. We're there to serve each other. Yes, in, in a yeah. healthy environment. Yeah, right. So the the musician needs to really serve the technical person in the way they look for the visual people, the way they play and sound and cooperate with volume levels and tone for the audio person, and then the audio person and the visual have to really serve the other person. So if everybody has more of a service attitude, yeah. And I think I've always tried to tell our guys that they should have something like that. Right. That's really important. Yeah. So if we're there to help make 
the system work. Yeah. It really is what it's about. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I used to think of my role as I'm serving you. Mm-hmm. you. You're the one with the thing going on. You're the one doing ministry. I'm here to serve that purpose. When the, you know, what you said is so much more true, which is we're here to serve each other. Like if this is going to be successful, right? I need th- something from you. You need something from me. Like we're here to succeed together. And I think so often technical people and we'll call them creatives for lack of a better term, we're coming at the same problem with different solutions from yep. different angles. Absolutely. But we, we all want a successful outcome. Like sure. we're, we're all working hard for a successful outcome. It just feels like we're coming at uh, toward yes. each other yeah. rather than working together. Well, I yeah. mean, it looks like we're, we're solving the problem from different angles and I don't understand where you're coming from. And right. so it feels like you're fighting against me, but we're, yeah, right. We want the same thing. Right. And part of it's vocabulary. Yeah. You, you know, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And we always encourage people to try to expand their understanding of the other person's position. Yeah. And again, having an audio guy being a gal, being a musician is helpful. Yeah. And having had them serve on it, even if it's at a different church and find out what the, you know, that's, that's been extremely beneficial to my career. Yeah. Is to be able to understand what it's like to be on one side of the equation. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so good. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been a great conversation. As always. With yeah, you, Mr. Todd I, every Elliott. time I'm with you, I'm thinking, why don't we do this more often? I really love this. <laughs> Me yeah. too. I yeah. love it too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should just make a habit of it. Let's I mean, do it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Thanks for making time. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. No joke, I could spend days with TC and still not get enough. I love that guy. I love spending time with him. And just hearing his philosophy, his ideas about the system, so good for us to consider. There are so many components that go into our services, and each of them has the potential to be a barrier to success. And figuring out what those barriers could be is so key to success. Um, I also love his perspective on how we need each other to succeed. You know, we're all trying for an amazing service. And we all need something from each other to remove all those barriers uh, so that our congregations have a great experience. Yeah, love it. All right, don't forget uh, to sign up for the Philo Conference, May 19th and 20th in Chicago. We're still doing it as of this recording. We're planning to do it. We're heading in the direction of doing it. We're doing it. Okay, we'd love to see you there. And TC will be there expanding on some of the ideas we talked about in this podcast at a breakout session. So... Check out philo.org for all the details. And for those of you who made it this far in the podcast, we're offering a discount with a promo code PODCAST99, all caps, PODCAST99. Gives you a discount on registration for Philo. So sign up, people. Let's go. Um, If you like our podcast, subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to us. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Stitcher. I'm sure there are more out there. If we're not on some platform, let us know. We'll get there. And give us a review on iTunes. It helps kind of spread the word, expose us to more people. The goal, again, is to really just help make us better people, better technical artists. And if we can reach more people, that means better church services, which means more life change. All right. You can find us on social media at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. Don't forget to send us your feedback and ideas for other podcasts by emailing us at philopodcast at philo.org. All right, it's been a good one. Talk to you again in three weeks. See ya.